because it is an art form that's gone. Carrot Top was so masterful. I'm saying that as I look at your um, your chests right here, I feel like Carrot Top yeah. has like five of those chests he has to yeah, bring to a does. show. I think he bought these exact ones and then put them on wheels, and now he just wheels them around. But the dude probably did dozens of late night shows, and mm -hmm. he had his. I mean, he's made a, a fortune. Off that's of what I kind of love about what he does because I'm a big Carrot Top fan. Yeah. I'll say it from the top. I was a big Carrot Top fan as a kid. Regis Philbin's yes. one of my favorite celebrities Yes, ever. he goes on Regis. Absolutely. Regis discovered him. Regis discovered him because Carrot Top went to college with Regis's daughter in Notre Dame. Wow. And he saw this kid do the, that act when he visited Notre Dame and went, you want to be on TV? And like talked them into letting it. And his set list is wheeling out the chest and just going, what's next? Yeah. And then like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's got the joke right there and he explains it and goes through the next thing. But it yeah. was, so he was a staple on Regis when I was a kid watching Regis all the time. I was a big Regis fan too. Yeah. Regis and Kelly, old school. I'm sorry, Kathy Lee. Yeah, I was going to. Old school. <laughs> yeah. Regis, and, Regis, and, Kelly, old school. Regis like, and Kathy Lee. I was like, and I then, guess, I guess that started 20 years ago. But no, then, Kathy Lee was, that was it. Yeah. That was the chemistry. That was the day. And I remember seeing Carrot Top at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. whenever yeah. the show's on. It was on 9. Reaching into his chest, looking for... I, my favorite one that he had was this was when like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire were big. He had a baseball bat and he, you unscrew the bottom and all these pills come out. And it just like... He had like 50 pills and they would just like funnel them into his face. And I was like, classic steroid joke. Classic. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Nobody's doing that. Could you imagine if he like was on like a showcase show like we're on with like 10 people... I'm like two comics before him, like the guy pulls out a baseball bat and he's like, ah, oh, this is what I was going to do. Yeah, that's how I'm doing that bit. I guess I'll have to do the tennis racket. But <laughs> the thing is, I've seen, I've seen props. This is what's crazy. I've done comedy 10 years. You do comedy all over. I've only seen props done several times. It's for usually a much older comic. I saw this one guy in Rhode Island, which Rhode Island, my home state, known for some of the shittiest comedy. Yeah. I don't know if it's true, but just the hackiest, shittiest stuff. And this one guy, he would like, he would talk about doing cocaine, but now he's on a diet. So then he would bust out sweet and low and then rip it open and dump it all over the stage. And I'm like, you have to dump out. And I'm sure the yeah. uh, the, the club owner's like, dude, you're going to do the sweet and low joke again. Come on, we got to get the vacuum out. And it's a whole thing. But it's still kind of fun to watch a guy go up with a bag. There was a weekend <laughs> I worked at Flappers. I mean, and this is more than one weekend. There was a comic that would end her set. She was the headliner by getting like big crackers. What are the... They're like Jewish crackers. They're big. Oh, uh, matzah? I guess matzah's the ball, though. Oh, that's right. But I think matzah's also the cracker. Okay, if matzah's the cracker, then that's Or whatever what it, is. it is. I could be very A giant wrong. cracker, like the size of an 8x10 piece of paper. Yeah. And she would act like she was a squirrel eating it. And so it would just be decimated and bits everywhere. And the first time I saw it, I was like, this is the early show. I yeah. have to go get a vacuum now. And then like from there on out, it was like, oh, if she's headlining, we should have the vacuum out. But yeah, I had to vacuum the stage between every show. That's so funny. Yeah, and it was. Did it do well? Did it perform? It crushed, and I would get so mad because it knew that I would have to have a chore now. I have this extra chore, but she's crushing. So you're not going to ask yeah, her like to stop. The better she doing does, the more you got to sweep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So everyone's having the best time, and I'm like just brewing in the corner, just like, oh god, I have to vacuum, and it doesn't vacuum up easy. I'm sure it doesn't. No. Yeah, that sounds like a bitch. Yeah, and then like the second time, because you never complete it the first go round. You go, is this good enough? Is this enough where yeah. the person sitting in the front row is not like there's crackers on the floor? Um, you know, Darren Carter 
is not a prop comic, but he has the light. He has a flashlight. flashlight. And and he also talks about it where he does the joke about how how his kids think he's stupid because he got to bring the, he has to pack his flashlight. But so at least he's aware of it that like he's got a thing there. But at least a flashlight's like you put it in your pocket. But yeah, it's it's something that's interesting that of of all aspects of comedy, we've of we've shamed it out of existence. We've we've but if you've ever watched a comic like I had to follow um um uh Will Willman, what's his first name? He's the magician. I can't remember oh, his Justin name. Wilman. Justin Wilman. I, Justin I had to follow him at an open mic and he just like made a printer disappear or some yeah. like crazy thing. And and comics were loving the magic because it was a little bit different. I was going to say magic is where it all went. If you go to magic shows at this point, that's where all the prop comedy is. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. And obviously magic, I what I've learned from going to Magic Castle, we have a friend who's like a really talented, like one of the best um, close-up magicians. We'll say is, the name. Um, his well, he, I'm trying to think what he goes by. Red. He's a redheaded guy. So he, jeez, I'm gonna I'm gonna balk on his date name. India? No, no, okay. no, no. He actually lives in Florida, another okay. Florida guy, but he travels all over. Oh, man, I'm going to... Okay, well, I've, while we're doing this, I'm going to name my magician friends just so they do. don't feel left out. But Lou Serrano, uh, Mad Tad, and Zach Waldman. I don't know them. All good friends of mine, all Magic Castle members oh, that yeah? got me in. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk about magic and not shout out my magic friends. Of course. So well. well, do you think in do you think in ma- in magic there's more recycling of jokes? Because I would hear yes, different magicians it. do the same crowd work. That's what... Okay, so when you buy a magic trick, I don't even know if I should be legally allowed to say this. When you buy a magic trick, because, you know, you buy them, um, because it needs to have a specialized prop, they come with the jokes to get through the trick. Oh, that's so funny. And then the good magicians write their own, and they make it their own, and they make it Mm. personal. And so you won't see any of my friends that I just mentioned, or you won't see Justin Willman use those jokes. They look at the prop and they go, I know it does this. Now, how can I contort it to my personality so it just becomes this extension and this hurrah? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the comic I was thinking of, and again, I'm Because by the way, like, I want to toss out, Zach started in stand-up, moved into magic, and his magic show is essentially a stand-up show where he happens to be doing tricks while he's doing it. You know, how great is that, the close-up room at the Magic Castle? The best. It's essentially, what would you say, 20-seater, 25? And it's four or five rows up. So it's mm-hmm. like a tiny amphitheater. It's like a tiny 20-seat amphitheater. Yeah. And then it's got the table that the magician does. The, and I'm thinking, wouldn't that be the, the wildest place to do a stand-up special? Yeah, in front I've of 25 people. As you watch it, you're like, this. But also, when you see those funny comics... I'm going to throw out Zach's name again because he does the close-up room. And he also, like, does crowd worky stuff, like, in between, like, the tricks while he's, like, shuffling the deck. And he's just crushing. Yeah. Absolute demolishing crushing. You're like, oh, if you just were able to set up cameras here for an hour, this could be an hour special on HBO. Yeah. Where somebody just, all of a sudden, you're the new Amazing Jonathan. You know, magic, so magic in stand like stand up I prefer to listen to it than to watch and I feel like anyone who's like I watched Chappelle's special it wasn't any good it's like yeah I mean what do you expect you're watching something that's meant for in the moment it'd be like watching you know like a rock concert at home like you're just not there you know you're watching and magic's kind of the same way and yeah watching yeah yeah and um but there is that one British guy who's like an illusionist Darren maybe his name's also Darren Carter Darren Darren Brown Okay. I think it's D-E-R-R, Darren Brown. And he's got these Netflix specials where he's like, I'm going to convince three strangers to murder somebody. <laughs> and they literally, it's called The Push. 
I'm not going to give any of it away. Have you seen this? No. So like they they set up the whole the whole cocktail party. Everyone's yeah. in on it except for these strangers, and they're like, I'm going to find a way to weed out who's the most um, uh, willing to do something against their will. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right, you know, pass out these hors d'oeuvres and it's all staged except for that one person. And the hors d'oeuvres are like supposed to be vegan, but like a, a meat one drops on the floor and like, here, just serve them this. They won't know. And then if the person like does that, then it's like check one. They nice. did something sort of unethical and like, and whatever. And by the end, the, the, the idea is, can I convince this person to push us push someone off the top of a building and of course the per the person's a stunt person they're connected but the person pushing them doesn't know that <laughs> it's bananas oh my god that's amazing it's called the push i believe it's called the push you Is can it google it yes and then and then the other one the guy does and I'm watching this like holy this is amazing and everyone's in on it and then the other one he does is like a fake gang in like the desert out here and the in like a gang fight starts out and like he convinces somebody to be in it and also see if the guy would pull a trigger this sounds and, like three michael jackson music videos at the same yeah, time oh it's probably yeah <laughs> and then the gang guy has like the squibs in his body so when the fake guns are going off oh, yeah. blood's coming out and the guy's thinking he's in a gang fight and it's a minute <laughs> and the ending of it's amazing and this guy, and again, this guy was probably huge in England, and he's just like, uh, yeah. you know, mainstream over there. But but it's the idea that you use techniques, magicians, illusionists, mm -hmm. comics, you know what sort of answer you're going to get out of an audience statistically if you do something enough. So you might have a bit where, like one of my, my favorite Patrice O'Neill bits was when he opens up Elephant in the Room special. Yeah. And I don't want to give it away, but like he does like crowd work with the audience knowing they're not going to heckle the thing like his punchline, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? And then he, and then he, and it's brilliant. I'm like, he, this guy knew exactly. And you know what? Aziz and sorry doesn't get much credit as a comic, but he did the same thing on his latest special where he like convinced the audience um, of a truth mm -hmm. that, and then they all agreed with them. And then he actually went, went to someone in the audience and asked him some questions about this fake truth. And they gave him fake answers because they were just going along with it. And he's like, none of that's true. And it was just like flipped the, and you just realize great. for so many different reasons, people will follow, like follow along. Yeah. And that's what those specials and those kind Especially of examples. Especially as they're a group. When you're a group and a collective and you're chosen to spoke out as one, you answer as the group. You don't answer yeah. as the one. And then I'm sure the magician or illusionist can pick and choose who who's most susceptible. Like, like, and I might be. I don't know. Like, you don't. You don't. You never think you are. I always but. think about that with um. What are the people hypnotists? Yeah, you're like the biggest part of their trick to me is the selection of the person. Yes, they have to choose the right people in a short amount of time because they saw yeah. 40 minutes with that person afterwards. I'm I'm torn on hypnotists because I do believe that there's like something far greater than like our physical sure. sort of what we are. It doesn't mean any any hypnotist can can get somebody there, but I do believe that like I do believe in the idea of an actual person being hypnotized to like quit smoking or retrain their thoughts and neurolinguistic programming and all that. But um I all like my my fiance just went to um she went to like a card reader. It was mm -hmm. part of some event. She didn't pay for it, which you know I, I say. Talk shit about I, it. I say that defending her. I'm I know like, oh, so didn't pay many for people it. who do that in all sincerity. And I'm like, well, maybe the lady that she went to, the card reader, the astrologer, whatever she was, maybe she convinced my fiance things my fiance was already believing, but needed like to be told, like you're ready to move on from your job. You've already got it within you. And if that's like a placebo effect, then fine. But also, I think 
they, I think it's ripe for scamming people to tell people what they want to hear and then say that you have to keep coming back and this and that. So it's kind of like, so very much, um, my cousin's boyfriend-in-law, as I'll call him, my cousin, Melissa, one of my main people on the show in my life, her boyfriend works for a phone psychic company. Hmm. And so they definitely have people that are addicted to that service. Yeah. You know, like, and so there is a thing where there is an addiction and a dependency that people develop with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, like, I don't know or believe that all of that is always I'm going to get you hooked, although it is like a haircut where they're like, this can be a monthly service that you do. I know people that do that as well. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some scam, like, and there is that weird line of, like, at what point does it become a scam? Because it is entertainment. Yeah, and it's just like therapy. If if the least you are doing when you pay a therapist I is think that's talking. The, I think that's the line. That's the boundary is you go, this can't become therapy. It feels like therapy. It's an entertainment form of therapy. Yeah. But it can't become therapy. Yeah. It can't. I don't. I As much as I think that it can inspire you, I don't think that it can get you through a tough time. I think that it will abuse you within your tough time. It's kind of like how the government is like complicit in lotteries because lotteries play on poor people. Mm. We were, um, we were the lottery. Yeah. But you're it, telling me I'm poor. I'm <laughs> we were, we got actually, we, we won some money. We were at, um, a pharmacy. I live in a Mexican neighborhood and the CVS, like we were trying to get like same day. We call that neighborhood San Diego. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, the, we were trying to get same day booster shots on Saturday and they weren't, they weren't open or they were, they were booked up. So we went to this one that was like a super Mexican pharmacy. It was just like way, in Mexican neighborhoods. You can get rooster shots. Keep going. Well, we did that. We got that. They gave us papayas. It was a whole deal. <laughs> so, so we're like killing time and there's a lottery machine in yeah. there. So she's like, all right, I'll, I'm going to put 20 on this thing. And she filled it out and she was like, and the thing said, oh, are you in a free ticket? And then she went in to give the ticket back and they gave her 50 bucks. I was like, Hey, you just won 250% of a $20 ticket. That's great. That's great. I think that's 250 either way. But I was like, in most cases, lotteries, the government, they tax, they tax you when you buy it and they tax you when you win. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's like a profit making machine. And for the most part, people who do lotteries are people that are, no, no offense to you, but like the the lower level are like dead end people that need to scratch something off and just this this hope that their lives can change, you know? Okay, no, there is that. And also, that's what I like about it is the hope <clears throat> is that I buy a ticket and for two days, I kind of am on a fake cloud nine or you're yeah. like, I'm going to tell my boss to go fuck himself. I'm yeah. Fine. You know, like, I'm going to open a comedy club and book nobody. I'm going to, you know, yeah. exactly. You're just like all these things. You get to have those wild thoughts for a couple days for $5. You spend $5 yeah. and it allows yourself some validity to believe your crazy thoughts of your richy rich dreams. How long do you think you would be happy if you won a hundred million dollars? Because you do go back to your current happiness. You know what I mean? It, it will, you do. And like people are like, no way. It does go back. It has to go back. I imagine two weeks. Two <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sugar high ends. You're like, all right, this yacht stinks. The yacht's making the machine. Well, because it's not the yacht. That's the problem is you go, okay, now that you have all this money, what do you do with this as a fulcrum? And I don't care about yachts or cars or things like that. So you just yeah. go, okay, I would take care of these stressors. I would try to take care of stressors for myself and my loved ones. But taking care of these stressors is a whole different stressor because now they depend on you for it. Yeah. And so you're just like, how do I do that without creating a dependency for that sort of thing? You know, like, how do you, you tell your family that you fish. win the lottery, you all of a sudden become a target for any time they ever need something. It's like, well, you you have it for free. Yeah, big target. Yeah. Resentment. You don't, I mean, the, the, the lack of trust. And it's kind of like, we say lottery. Robbed. 
Yeah, I mean, on a on a smaller level, it's like comics who own who own and operate a comedy club. Who's talking to me because they like me? Who's talking to me mm-hmm. because I can give? Because in the end, we all it's all gimme, gimme, gimme. Well, you, I don't know if you saw on Facebook. I'm gonna do a little bragging. I uh, got hired at the Improv. Today's my first day. Working. Hey, congrats! Thank you. But on the comment, I said, I know how you all treated me yesterday. Yeah. So continue to do that. You know, like because like there was a fear. I was hired weeks ago. I just put on the schedule, and I was like, I'm not gonna say anything. Until it's obvious, because I don't want people to turn their page on me. You know, well, you know, it's interesting. I did a show with someone maybe six months ago out of town, mm-hmm. someone that I actually like. It's this per- I'm going to not go genders, but this person it was like is a much younger comic mm-hmm. and very nice. And I've always enjoyed their comedy. And last night at my, I, had a, I was in the, the, at the lab, and afterwards that person goes, Hey, I'd like to introduce you to, you know, X, Y, and Z, the, mm-hmm. the booking team. And I didn't even know they worked there. Mm. So it was just like an example of like, well, if you're just nice to people, then then you will you will get some opportunities because you'll get introduced and and in this and that. But almost every time I've met a booker, I'd met them before not knowing they were a booker. Yeah. Almost all of them. And then of course bookers change. And then when it changes, it's like, oh, now it's this person. You're like, oh, I've known this person for years. It's like the chateau, you know, like Irina owns and books it. I met Irina when she was two weeks in. I don't know her. Is she the older uh, blonde Russian person? Yeah. Oh, okay, so I do know her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah I met her at an early open mic because she was showing up with her husband. You know, like her husband was going to all the open mics with her. And you're like, oh, hey, right. what's up? You know, like and I got to meet them on a friendly level. And then when she started booking the place, I was like, okay, how do I get past here? And she was like, I know you. And I was like, I know, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a process. Yeah. And as comics, we're always looking for like, you know, it's not it's not as simple as some jobs where you submit this and there's a meritocracy. Like in the end, you can be an asshole. And if you crush on stage to some level, people are willing to be OK with that. There is and you a can be the nicest level. guy in the world. But like if you cause if you can't keep people drinking and having a good time, it is what it is. So I think there's like this you just like the you know, the industry, it, it can take so long to break. Just get good. And be humble the whole time because and there's a lot of people that are good. Yeah. So then how do you separate from all the people that are good? You know, what can you offer? And there's also, I honestly believe you're as good as you are bad, if that's going to make sense in a second, to where it's like when my sets are going horrible now, they're still doing better than I was five, six years ago Mm -hmm. because like that was the hope for when a set was going good. And so it's just like, but in my mind, I was like, oh, no, I'm as good as my best set. And you're like, no, you weren't, you know, like, and you didn't fool anybody either. They also were just like, oh, no, you had a good set. We've all seen comics have a set that's better than their regular. Right, exactly. You hit a couple extra bases. When you are working at the clubs and they're putting you up nightly, they know what your regular is. Right. That's a good good way to look at it. Like, you know, you never look at your batting average. They don't look at your home run. Right. You never think too highly about like a set or too lowly about a bomb. Because yeah. I bombed, I bombed right before the pandemics hit, and I did l- just smell <laughs> that bomb for a while. My fiance was there. I was dressed up. It was like, ugh, and I did just sit with that. And I was like, that was it for me. <laughs> like, I don't want yeah. that shit to happen again. Like, that was out. That was like, n- I was not happy with how any of that went down. And I was like, and and it was at the right before the pandemic was when I was so busy with side gigs, trying to stay alive. My comedy was probably better when I was a first year comic, to be honest. Maybe, maybe we look back on it and I'm being hard on myself, but like, I'm going to tell you, no, I'm going to tell you right now. No. And I'll tell you why, because you have an ability to connect with an audience now that you didn't then. So your jokes maybe were tighter because you're, we're so worried about the words, but as you've learned that the words are only one of 10 aspects that are happening. Right. 
the audience is more drawn to what you're saying now than they ever were your first year. Yeah, you I know, watched you in your first year. You was I'm sorry. That's <laughs> no, fine. But you you know, watch but, me in mine. I'm but, sorry for that. You know what I re- look I look at it, it's like with acting, which you know a lot of people are like oh, acting takes no skill or whatever. But I really respect the people that can dive into a role when somebody can memorize a script so good that they no longer need to think about the words. Yeah, and they they can truly be in the moment. They bring it to yeah. life. And I feel like with stand-up, it's less about memorizing the jokes and punchlines, but more about knowing, all right, I've, I've got an act. Now let's try to ditch it, talk to the audience, and then mm-hmm. and it's like you're just going to shake it all it up, life. and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to connect in whatever organic way. And isn't that yeah, fun? I'm at a point where people don't know where... I'm putting in my jokes and not putting in my jokes. And That's, I'm like, yeah. this is great. This is the goal. Because people are just like, you just go up there and riff the whole time. You're like, I wrote half of those riffs four years ago, some of them two weeks ago. That's why I brought up that topic at all. That's what's so important about, like, I'll throw away jokes all the time because it doesn't belong in, like, a bit. Mm-hmm. But then but then they, they'll, like, resurface. They, they show up again. And they're just these little bubbles that surface. And you go, oh, it was meant for yeah. here. Literally, five, six years later, you, like, rethink of a tweet you had. You go, oh, yeah, this fits in now. It happened to me at a bar. I magically, I had a magic set at a bar. Everyone yeah. was talking through everybody. I get up, and they're silent for some reason. Yeah. It's because I'm calm. You know, like, because everyone else was like, what am I going to do with my time? And I'm like, I'm going to talk to them, so I'm going to do yeah. with my time. And part of my magic trick of stand-up is in the first 30 seconds to a minute, I convince you that I'm not doing stand-up. I'm, I'm just talking. But I went up, because there was a Funko Pop table next to us. And I was like, happy other Funko Pop. I'm actually a human version of a Funko Pop. You know, because I'm smaller and stouter. And I was like, I've been called the the Henry Rollins Funko Pop come to life. You know, like, and then, like, so, like, they're like, oh, well, that's not a planned whole thing. Although, that was a joke six years old. You know, like, and yeah. then you just sort of go in as, like, Funko Pops are, like, um, just the, I remember what the trophies are, the participation trophies in the entertainment industry, but yeah. I'm really happy that they're here to let us know the entertainment industry is here. All, blah, blah, blah. Someone's taking pictures, and I was like, oh, that's the exposure I'm getting paid in. Thanks for showing up. And now they're like, oh, he's just riffing. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to throw in a bit. You know, like, yeah. this reminds me of this. You know, like, the but I people- also try not to be, like, stuck on my words. Even in, within the bit, I don't want the sentence to be the same from one to the next. So that way it feels alive in me before it heads out. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it comes down to audiences don't want to be lied to. Everyone's yeah. been sold something, you know, like, you know, sales and this and that. And even magicians, to bring it back to them, they got to have you write your signature on the card before they do the trick. Mm-hmm. They want to make it feel like you are the only people to see this. But that's what is hard with it when you do comedy over and over and over to like, and I, I, whenever I see a comic that's like, you know, this happened to me today, you know, it's most likely not true because if it is true, they're like, no, it really happened to me today. Normally yeah. it's like, yeah, we heard that three years ago, buddy. But like the comics, like, um, I've opened for some guys that are like 30-year road dogs, and they make it feel like it's their first time. And some of, some of their act is like a decade old. Yeah. And you go, that takes a skill. It is And a it skill. brings the audience into it. So is it's, I don't think it's... It's like the acting, where they bring it to life. Yeah. They wrote the monologue, but they're bringing it to life today to talk to you about it. Yeah. That's the thing I got out of watching Kathy Griffin stand-up, is it feels like you're sitting down with your friend for coffee, and she's super excited to tell you about meeting Cher or whatever. Yeah. And you're just like, oh yeah, this is really, this is great. She, her presentation is ten of ten, and that's, and that's something you can't, you know, that that's what's interesting about it because, well, first of all, whenever anyone talks about stand up as anything more than 
what it is. It sounds so like preachy and and obnoxious. Like, I don't like calling it art. I yeah. don't. But I it, hate but when it, people call it, it it's like, like my art. it is, but the art is not calling it that. I relate it back to like an alpha male doesn't say he's an alpha male. You know he's an alpha male. Correct. If he goes, I'm an alpha male, bro, you're a beta. You shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And with comedy, you just like, oh no, you know, you're shooting from the hip. But that that's your art is to mask it into a common way. And like if you're doing a bar show, you might swear more. If you're at a Sunday night a dressed up thing, you might try to, uh, you know, be a little different, but you're just trying sure. to blend in with the crowd and be that person in the crowd that would or be even like not the- so much the surroundings. If you notice the room is all dudes, mm-hmm. you talk to them differently than if it's a mix of all women or if it's all women, you talk to them much more respectfully. Yeah. Like you just, you look around and you go, okay, what am I looking at here? I got a set coming up. That's probably going to be 95% women. This one, this show. And um, I'm like, all right, which way are we going to take this? Because a, if you get a whole room of men together and a, and or a whole room of women together, you're going to get like some some you know anarchy happening. Yeah, no, if it's true. all men, and I love a set when it's all men. You can just talk about the it's like extra that's farty. Funny. No, because I I hate that when I go to a room and it's all men. I get I'm like oh great, I not have to hear about their wieners and what they're yeah, attracted. You got to just lean. I into don't want it. any of that. Yeah. I don't want to know that. But I love women because. And I was saying this, too, about how a lot of male comics will complain, like, oh, women comics only talk about their vagina. It's like, I wouldn't know anything about the vagina if female comics weren't talking about it. I'm <laughs> fascinated. Yeah, I'm fascinated by, like, hearing people that, that don't look like me tell me their stories about life. And I feel like as comics, I grew up in a very white town in Rhode Island. And that's no fault of the town. It is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get into comedy, you go, oh, I'm hearing stories from people like in the hood in Philadelphia, growing up in a Mexican family um, in Tijuana, uh, an Indian comic. I was telling somebody about that last night because they were talking about relatability. They're so worried about being relatable. And I was like, don't be worried about being relatable. Just be worried about being honest. Yeah. I don't I don't understand where anyone cares about relatability. Patrice O'Neill, I relate to him 0%. I come from 0% of his world. I very much want to know his worldview, and so I'm listening very attentively and loving it. Yeah, he's one of my favorites um, just because he's truly, like, even he did a roast battle, and he didn't even, like, bring his notes up. He just started shitting on everyone. Was that the one with Shatner? I, yeah. yeah. Was that the Charlie Sheen one, or was it Shatner? Or oh, the both? both? Maybe, I don't know, I don't know which one it was, but yeah, I think you're right. And, like, he was just legendary, because it was, like, he was, and this is when, like, um, uh, who's the guy that Amy Schumer was dating? Now he's a... Yeah, so he's like, who the hell is this guy? Because, like, you know, (laughs) Patrice O'Neill's royalty, like, as far as, like, his respect from other comedians. And then he's got these, like, essentially no-name writers who are now famous, like theater acts, like Jeselnik and Amy Schumer. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, Yeah. and it was just fun to watch because um, he's... And I was reading a quote from him earlier today about how, like, you know, if you're not walking half the room, you're probably not doing it right. And I'm not abrasive like that. But it's like... I think that's based more on his personality. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm ever going to walk half the room, but I want the level of it where they feel like they know me pretty intimately on the other side. Yeah. And that's, well, Bill Burr's good at that because he'll, he'll take some atrocious, you know, point of view and then yeah. win you back over. He'll, but like, dig himself in a hole and then go to defense. So I'm going to ask you about Bachelor in Paradise, if you don't mind. Go for it. Do you genuinely actually love the show? There's probably... My little background is that Dave has uh, a YouTube, successful YouTube channel where you go through the Bachelor shows. Yeah. And, like, you recap it, you give your opinions. It's yeah. It's a whole channel. My YouTube hit the gold with Bachelor-themed content, 
in because I was doing it. And also that's just where, so anything non bachelor themed usually gets, you know, just like it's a, it's, it gets thrown into obscurity because yeah. of the way the algorithm works. Either people watch something next, you know, either it hits the, the threshold to get recommended or it doesn't. So like all yeah, my but no, but I, I get that you got into like, that's what's happening. And you're like, so you have this gold mine of you talking about this show. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I really love okay. and, and how the bachelor in paradise fits into that. I love making fun of people hitting on each other, relationships, mm-hmm. dating blunders. I've always been attracted to to relationships in that way. So the show provides me like this this sort of, you know, canvas to make fun of it. And then in the meantime, I'm also keeping people up to date on the things that might not be as funny. You know, there's a lot of so- serious social topics, but then I'm going to just like riff off of that. Yeah, so totally. the show literally just provides me the chance to do my thing. I don't really give people too much information. I mean, I guess I give them information. I always say YouTube's like the way to hit it on YouTube is information and entertainment. Yeah. And which in some videos are funnier than others. Some are more serious, but you know, people are going to know that I'm going to give them the information and then kind of go off on some rant and I don't prepare overly. I make the videos around 15 to 20 minutes and I just kind of go off just, you know, talking to myself. Yeah. But it's just like a fun riffing on a show that people like to dig into. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, and then there's like, don't get me wrong. There's very serious topics. The show brings up a lot of topics about race, uh, gender, misogyny, so many different topics because they're just regular everyday people that get thrown into this own like little famous world. And sometimes it blows up in their face and sometimes they're like a legend. And then once their show's over, I keep in touch with the fame, the popular ones and like every, people want to know what they're up to today. Like bachelorette oh. Australia has a bisexual bachelorette and they just, I just made a video today. It's not doing well because no one knows the bachelorette Australia, but it's two of the contestants are now dating two of the female contestants uh, that were voted off oh. are now dating. You know, like, Fucking Smart. cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, and she's still on the show, so I don't know if she's still... She's probably got a couple men and women left. I'm not sure. But it's like just a... You know, it. It's, it that wouldn't happen in the U.S. because we're very conservative. Like, yeah. when you think when you think of the demographic of the it South... It would. It would just be buried. It would not... Yeah, it wouldn't... Like, um, even right now, Michelle is the... Uh, is a black bachelorette. She's not, the ratings are horrible. And it's, is that because there's a sub segment that is racist? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, because she's gorgeous. She's interesting. The show doesn't have like an extreme amount of drama because she's a good lead and, and it's not too dramatic this season, but the numbers are abysmal. They lost to Fox. They like, this is an, this is like, what was Fox showing? Like some random ass show. I don't even know. Like it was just some random thing. And they're the, the mass bachelor. Yeah, the ratings are abysmal for her season, and I think part of it is, and she was also a contestant on Matt James' season, who was the first Black Bachelor. So if you didn't watch Matt James' season, you're not watching Michelle's, and that's, you know, it's sad because if people that maybe had never been exposed to, like, a mixed-race love story, or um, if they had never been exposed to that, it's good because you build empathy. You go, oh, it sounds common sense but it's like oh they're just like us they you know they they being you know i mean because the show does have like you you know there'll be a a cuban american and then uh black and then a a bunch of white southerners and then new englanders that hate the south and the southerners i hate the north it's like the most random people it's funny that i asked you like do you like it and then you're like well let me explain everything about like it's almost like the way like people like i love wrestling and people are like do you like wrestling and you're like 
we have to understand. There's like three storylines that are really good. Yeah. There's like 12 storylines that are active. And so you sit through <laughs> the ones that are going on. Yeah. Hey, do you like baseball? Well, if I'm folding laundry, like you fit yeah. different entertainment. Like I don't sit down and watch Joe Rogan, but like I was l listening to Joe Rogan talking to Ben Shapiro. Do I agree with one thing that Ben Shapiro says? Not really, you know, but it's still interesting. I like to listen to things I don't necessarily agree with. The show, oh, it's will get me with the links. They'll be like, Billy Corgan talks about why the pumpkins broke up. You're like, yeah. I yep. don't care that he's talking All right. to Joe. Here we go. Yeah. Tell me what's going on, Billy. Clear Corbin. my schedule. I need to know about this. <laughs> I, I'll get into some so weird, like, so like there is an aspect to, so, so it's still work. I mean, I wake up at six, 7 a.m. every day and I think what content am I going to make today? I make three, five, seven videos. I bang them make out. Three to seven videos I've a day? I've already made three today and I'm going to have three live streams today. Jesus. On a normal day, three, four, on a day when like there's some drama you can't print the money fast enough. Yeah. So if there's drama and there's, I'll make a video about the drama. I'll throw up my voicemail number. If like, there's a big breaking story, call in. I want to hear what you have to say. They'll call in and then I'll make a whole nother video about that. Hearing from people and like people. And I started this just a year ago with my roadcaster and, and you know, I set up like a Google voicemail number. It's super like rudimentary. And I'm like, shit, I'm getting, a f I remember my first phone call I got my fiance is when we lived in a studio, we just moved, but she, she would like, she could only hear my end. So it's like, hi, this is, hi. it's like, uh, someone, someone was like, hi, this is Samantha in Florida. My question is, and like my fiance is like, what the hell? Like, this is hilarious. People are calling in. And now it's like, I got somebody in Pakistan, Zimbabwe, everyone in Florida, Texas, the South, the South calls in a lot and in all, in all these other places. And they're just kind of, they just want someone to talk to. And I think the pandemic heightened that, that people so. want live streams. They want to feel connected. And, yeah, but and you did. The things you learned through those 10 years, like my standup was better than you're like, no, but you learn how to connect to people faster and better. And just through those things, I feel like works both ways. It's true. Um, it's true that it's a very subtle thing, but if, if, you know, we t I talk on YouTube about click through rate and that's when YouTube shows your, your video thumbnail, how many people click, yeah. you know, a bad video of mine will get 2%, a good video, 25%. If a video gets over 20% of my audience clicking on it, YouTube's like, throw it to the front and the algorithm throws it in front of new people. And it's constantly testing your content with new people because it's just a computer, right? So it doesn't know who wants what, but if they click on it and they watch it, you know, good watch retention, then that's that a video is going to take off. Now the key is how can you convince someone to watch your things? Some people have an interesting face and they like, yeah. I don't know if you know, Mark Rebier, no. he's super talented. He's a, he's an improv, um, uh, uh, DJ, uh, classical singer. He's all over the place. He's, but Reggie Watts loves him, and he's got a face that just looks, you know, he's a white guy with glasses and a mustache, but he's a classically trained singer and also does comedic improvising. He's amazing. And his thumbnails, you just need to click them nonstop because he just looks so dang fascinating. Yeah. I'm not, my, I don't put myself on my thumbnails. I put whatever the yeah, content. Yeah, but what you did do is you talked and went deep into a subject that people love and people want to talk about. When I was working in an office years ago, the day after The Bachelor would air, that's what people talked about. It's one of the other. few water cooler shows that's left. Um, F-Boy Island, they dump three episodes at a time. Other shows that, you know, Netflix yeah. dumps all their episodes. There's no room to discuss. When an episode comes out and there's a big deal that happens, you get 48 hours of just talk about it. Analyze the villain. Talk about this. You're talking to somebody who has a Mandalorian podcast. Yeah. I'm waiting for that to come back. Yeah. So I can, like, because that, that show did better than this show. Just yeah. purely because there's a lot of people who just want to hear and talk about all the things that are going on. And they don't know who I am. They just know who Baby Yoda is. And they want to know more about him. 
And you know, there's something, there's some psychology there where someone, people want to put, like I, like I try to get my videos to 15 minutes. If it's seven and someone wants to sit down and eat a cheeseburger and they don't want to touch their, their they might, it might not be long enough for them. And it sounds crazy because I remember a few years ago when I started doing my recaps, people would leave comments 17 minutes pass. No, thanks. But I think I've earned their trust to be like, no, we're going to get kind of weird. We're going to scrape the barrel. We're going to shout some weird things. We're going to rant. And, and I think that there's a market for people that want, they actually, there's actually a subreddit called, I think it's called lunchtime videos or something like that. Oh, smart. And they have to be between eight and 20 minutes or something like that. And the idea is some people they're alone on their break or they're single and they just want to put something on so they can chew a sandwich. I literally do that every night when I make dinner. I make dinner myself in the kitchen i turn on some video i put it on pause go grab my food when it's done cooking, i do the same thing and then i sit there and i'll watch a video i yeah. search for a thing to watch with dinner i was getting into when they when we were waiting for the stimulus to hit at the beginning of the pandemic it was a big deal people were going broke no one had yeah. jobs anymore I, I got fired i wasn't making money on youtube yet and there was this one youtuber named meet kevin and he started making videos with stimulus updates. And every day he had three new videos about the stimulus, literally for months, you know, cause there's like Congress is saying this, we're going to pass this. And it provided people hope that there was going to be this money coming. His channel blew up so much. It was probably like in the hundreds of thousands. Now it's like 1.5 million. He actually ran for governor in, in California. He was actually getting a lot of PR as one of the top candidates that wasn't like mainstream because he was democratic. So he ended up, I mean, you know, he still got a large percentage of, of um you know as a youtuber it made it made news but he saw that stimulus and a few other words were what youtube was going to trend him as and he rode that shit to the ground and now he makes other kind of videos but that was kind of and so for me it's like what's what's the glass ceiling of bachelor and then how do i transition into other things while all while out while not losing the cash cow that is the bachelor yeah. and that's something i don't have an answer to but i'm just kind of like i have my ear to the but to the door in two years you will yeah oh yeah i think in 2022 it used to be like it takes years to get your account monetized i think i can create a new youtube channel now and have it monetized in a few weeks oh. and at that point whether you have five subscribers or a million because my channel outperforms plenty of channels that have millions of subscribers it's all about watch time if someone with a million subscribers stopped making content and it's not evergreen it's not some video that just always gets views they're just their bank's gonna dry up mm-hmm. so for for me it's like all right it doesn't matter if i make a new channel it's not starting from scratch like a jenga it's like you make a new channel once it's monetized if youtube starts recommending that like i like i was making more the first couple months of this year when I only had five or 7,000 subscribers than I did this month when I've got 46,000 because it's not about the subscribe subscribe. That's like the vanity of it all. Like how many people are following you? But the truth is, it's like, what's your engagement? And so like, um, that's why it's, I think for people that do want to start channels, for them to realize like you can hit the ball rolling. You can get the ball rolling really fast. If you have an interesting, unique thing to say and a market you want to attack and um, I, I truly believe that. I mean, I tinkered around for years before my channel took off, but I didn't start doing daily content till January of this year. So, like, mm. I just didn't know. Like, I decided to start creating news and not waiting for, like, the perfect news story. Because yeah. now it's like, all right, if I make four videos, one or two of them might take off. It's not always the one I think. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. So I just say, like, all right, put the videos out there. Yeah, some things are obvious. Some things... Yeah, and, and sometimes I'm the only one covering something, so it might not be the most popular video, but I'm the only one that's offering it. So yeah. it's like, you Smart. know. Yeah, anyway, so 
you never, you know, I still don't know all the specifics other than you got it. You got to make, you got to put the content. It's like writing as a comic. You got to write jokes because you're not going to know which last night. Well, yeah, if you build it, they can't come. I said a one-off thing last night. I've never said, never out of my mouth in my life. And the comic after me goes, dude, I love that bit about the so-and-so. I go, huh? He goes, he had to like tell me the joke. I was like, oh, I just said that. I didn't even know. And he's like, that's good. I was like, oh, I wouldn't have known. You don't know. You don't always know what, what your thing I is. I was just going off on board games and somebody was like, that was a great bit. And I was yeah. like, well, I better listen to the tape and figure out what this bit like, is. Oh, now I got to listen to the tape. It's almost like you're like, ah, oh, but the thing I'm working on isn't getting to love, but the off the cuff thing, it's just kind of like the universe telling you like, all right, don't really, don't overthink things. Yeah, You've already by the got way, it. Was that person me? I did that with you this week. No. I was like, this you, thing was great. You said, and you're like, oh, I just said that. And see, I, like, I can't even remember what you were even commenting on. It must've been something about, on. oh, it was about gender. It was about um, gender was segregated sex health. Is, yeah. Yeah. Our sex ed is segregated. So we don't know about each other's stuff. We yeah. only know about ourselves. And that makes everything more difficult. Yeah, I need to explore that. I've I I do appreciate you telling me that because that yeah that would have been a thing I never thought of again. You know, yeah, because no, you just don't realize smart. like you grow up, you go sex ed once one day in Rhode Island, some Irish Catholic you know community I live in. They send they give us a couple of sticks of deodorant, and we never hear about what the other sex had to go through. Yeah. So we're like we're like and we're just sharing the fakest of news. One kid's like, no, nah, this is what it is, and he's telling us all like, ah, that's crazy. It's like none of it's true. We could have very much enjoyed learning you know <laughs> i know what's weird is there's the internet now when we were kids we just had to trust the kid that had the biggest mouth about it yeah you had to trust the kid who's like either had cool parents or like you're like or yeah or had the biggest mouth or we had one guy who like <laughs> said molested one he's like i can tell you about sex but you're not gonna like it yeah <laughs> So Dave Neal, fun fact about Dave Neal, I think I've tried to have him on for over a year, and for some reason it just didn't work. It's never been he's big time in me, never. It's always like, oh, let's try next week, and then it just never happened, and then all of a sudden I was in a room with him, and I was like, let's make it happen, we made it happen. It's really funny that I, uh, that we just had to chase each other down, mostly pandemic stuff, honestly, because I tried to get him early on in the podcast, and then pandemic stuff happened, and then I pulled back, and then blah, 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 and then we started to slowly open, and then we slowly closed, and it was just a whole mess. But he actually is one of the guys that I talked to about the equipment. When I got my equipment, I talked to him a lot about it. A couple people. Um, Bryce, he was on an earlier episode, uh, Bryce Prescott, and then Dave Neal and Jeff Zendesek. Those are the three guys I talked to a lot about the equipment to figure out what I wanted to do to record my podcast on. Which, by the way, they all said the Rodecaster Pro. If anyone's listening, because I've been getting that a lot in my DMs, where people are like, I want to start a podcast, can I ask you questions? I use the Rodecaster Pro. I use it with regular, dynamic, 58 mics. Uh, there is The Rodecaster has a podcast mic. It's a condenser that sounds really great. Um, but this one sounds just as good to me. I don't hear the difference. And people are like, oh, the masters can hear the difference. And you're like, I guess. But I, I guess I'm not the masters. I don't hear the difference. I think it sounds great. Uh, I specifically wanted him over to use the equipment. So I didn't want to use him throughout Zoom. So that like nine months where we did exclusively Zoom. I didn't want to do that with Dave because I wanted to show him that I bought the thingy he uh, recommended. Dumb things. I got him on. So happy. Happy we talked about it. We did not mean to talk so much about props and magicians. But 
boom, I wanted to talk to him about Bachelor, and I wanted to talk to him about starting his uh, his YouTube success. He's gotten a lot of YouTube success, which I do want to say, he's mentioned it just briefly, and he mentions it in his social media. I've known Dave for like 10 years, and he's been working hard at it for 10 years. And then 10 years in, all of a sudden, the break started happening for him. And it's been the sky's the limit in the last year. But it took 10 years of him really hammering away at it to figure out how to really get it to the niche that he needed himself to be in this. And I'm happy. Like, I wanted to cut the podcast off 15 minutes before I ended up doing it. But I was like, no, what he's saying is so good. I just kept it. So people who want to start their own YouTube channels, they can. You know, like, because it really, he didn't make it too much about Bachelor. He made it about starting your own YouTube and getting success in it. Hooray. Um, you may notice I put up a song. I put up You Gotta Be Me, the song that I end with. The one that I end with, I want to do all the music. I'm working on it. I'm tinkering with it. That's my first attempt at re-recording the music I currently have, except with me playing on guitar. Tell you the honest to God truth, I think it sounds too sad. You guys will, you guys will hear. It's already up. It's up for you guys to listen to. It just sounds, it's so slow. It sounds sad. It's very moody. <laughs> it's not the mood of ending the podcast the way I like that it is. And so now I'm like, oh, wait, how do I play guitar and not sound moody? Like, I I love playing my guitar, but guitar is made so much for, like, this moodiness and this blues and this other stuff. You don't really hear it in, like, these happy-go-lucky things. And so even when I'm, like, I'm playing, like, video game music, because I was, like, practicing that to try to figure out what the middle is for this theme song of this show to be, to be video game-ish, but it's me playing guitar... It still sounds like I'm doing a moody version of video game music. I still, I go right back to the blues because that's, it seems like all of guitar learning you learn through different methods of the blues. And so now it's like, oh, no, no, no. I know the notes are the same, but I throw this mood into it. So, so maybe you'll see other random songs show up that it's like up there for. I did it like twice as fast too. And my friend just told me, he's like, sounds like the Gypsy Kings are playing. Ari said that. Ari is easy. <laughs> told me the Gypsy Kings sound like it when they play it fast. So I'm going to throw it up. We're going to eventually have stuff, and you're going to have the soundtrack just up there to listen to. I want it up there to listen to. Not just so I can sit there and just listen to it, but it also it's easier for me to edit when it's up there and when I can pluck it from wherever I am in the, the galaxy. But um, I, there's no reason to hide it. If you guys want to listen to it too, that'd be nice. You know, like if you guys don't, it's 30 seconds. You can skip over it or do whatever. You can use that for a restroom break. Whatever. You guys get the point. You know what I'm saying. But weird bonus guitar track just floating up in my RSS feed. Thank you guys for enjoying Dave Neal. Tomorrow, I haven't recorded it. He's coming over tomorrow, so I don't know what it's about. But Michael Malone is one of my favorite comedians ever. People ask me, when you started comedy, who's some not famous comedians we should look out for. And I had three answers in my first three years. Um, and it's Michael Malone, Tony Baker, and Nate Bargatze. And in those last 10 years, Nate Bargatze has had multiple Netflix specials. Tony Baker has found success on Instagram and turned it into a following that comes out and sees them. Mike Malone has made a Christmas movie, wrote an incredible book, released a special, but he hasn't had that pop the other two have had. And so it's like, yes, let's talk about that. Um, 
I really look up to him, and I think the way he does stand-up is so perfect. And he learned, he had a mentor, another guy that's not famous that I absolutely love, named Vince Morris. And Vince Morris, I watched his Comedy Central half-hour special repeatedly, just watching the way he does it. Mike Malone opened for him for a long time. I think he doesn't get his just dues and how good he is. He's such a good comedian. So I feel like Tony Baker and Nate Bargatze have moved on from comedians that aren't yet discovered that we should look out for, you know, like who they can go see. So my top answers right now, Vince Morris, Mike Malone. Mike Malone's on. I mean, taping tomorrow. He'll be out for you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving's going to be this week. So eat up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I do with the eating up. I've been having a lot of weird food issues. I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know about all that later. Um, so yeah, of course, follow me at Aaron M. Marsh on everything. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We had more rates, reviews, and subscribes this this week. And I was like, ooh, where did these come from? Very exciting. I get happy for that. That's what makes me happy. Also, I've been putting up a lot more stand-up clips on my Instagram. So go check them out. Share them. Share them. It's not for just... I don't want to be a secret. Go share my stuff. Share it with everybody. Or, you know, the select few you think would really appreciate it. Yeah, now this is running long too. It's a long episode. Guys, Aaron M. Marsh, follow me on everything. Thank you for listening and thank you for putting up with me.